Hello and welcome back to Box Set Binge the Bible from Seven Vineyard. My name is Bern Leckie and I'm joined today by Owen Lynch. Hello, Ben. And we are going through the Bible at this amazing pace, driving through. Whoa, watch out for that corner. Whoa, going around a huge bend. Wow, there's a lot of stuff over there. Have we got time to look at all this stuff in massive detail? No. No, we don't. <laughs> it's a great sense of momentum, though, isn't it? It is. And we were just thinking just before we started recording this about how long this episode could be based on all the ideas that came up from looking at the beginning of Exodus. We just read the first couple of dozen chapters, really, in Exodus. Just so much in there. Oh, my goodness. So welcome to this first nine-hour-long edition. Get a meal in. <laughs> uh, no, we'll yeah. try and edit it down. I was just struck at the beginning by the difference between where things ended up in Genesis, where you thought, oh, they're in it, they're settled, they're in a nice place. And the turn it takes into Exodus. And and if there's one thing that I would put my finger on as the important reason that the author nails for this this change, I would say it's it's relationship. How so, Bern? How so? Because Joseph has this trust and relationship that he's built up with the Egyptians and he's well regarded and he's done well great things for them and so when he brings his family in and they settle down they're settling down in a good way they're they're settling down with a lot of grace and favor then it's just a generation later when I suppose it's like me saying to you hey my granddad was a really good friend of your granddad so can I borrow some money? Yeah. What would you say? Yeah, that would be unusual. Yeah. You'd say, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it wouldn't mean a thing. Yeah. And I think this is the situation that Israel's family has ended up in, in that the people who got on well were their granddads. And, and these people now just seem like a pain to the Egyptians. So without the relationship, they're just saying, what should we do about this problem? The people writing this are telling a story with a purpose in mind. And I mm. think that's really fascinating. Yes. Now, I think the person telling the story has made a really good choice here. Knowing how good relationships are and knowing how important relationships are to us, we get a relationship to follow yeah. through this story. We get introduced to Moses. Right. It's not abstract. It's, it's personal. Hmm. Moses is an Israelite. He's a descendant of Abraham. And he is adopted into Pharaoh's family. Mm. He, he's, he actually is adopted as Pharaoh's grandson because it's Pharaoh's daughter that adopts him. And I find that quite fascinating because for me, it's about, gosh, he actually finds himself within very close relationship with Pharaoh himself. So when, Pharaoh, when we hear about the conversations with Pharaoh, this is not some abstract person that's just appeared out of nowhere that's a bit of an opposition character to to the to the leadership of Pharaoh or the kingship of Pharaoh. This is one of his adopted family. And yes. uh, and yes. I find that absolutely fascinating. Just imagine what Pharaoh must have thought. What is going on? My grandson is doing. What's he doing? It's very important that we have Moses to be able to relate to. And I love how almost like from the very beginning of Moses' story, there are echoes of the other stories in Genesis. There's a detail that a Jewish scholar pointed out that I found that I'd never really spotted before. In verse 2 of chapter 2, the woman becomes pregnant, gives birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, is how it says in the, the NIV. Yeah. Now, the word for fine is 
the same word that's used in Genesis 1 for good. Ah, right. Yeah. So Moses comes along and she sees that he is good. Yeah. Ooh. And what did you what word did you use for that the other day? Was it ordered? There's lots of thoughts about what that word means. The word is tof, as in mozzle tof. Yeah. Like good luck. But tof has a huge amount of meaning. The same way that the English word good has a massive amount of different meanings. Mm. The resonances include a kind of divine order, a yeah. kind of thing that God would like to happen. Yeah. It's not the same as perfection. It's not the same as this is all finished and done. It's more like this has potential. This can go somewhere. This is in the direction that life wants to go, basically, that are, and a good direction. Yeah. If you contrast life and death and, and order and decay, you have these contrasting terms of tof and ra would be the, uh, the, the other word that goes with it. Ra would mean evil or it would mean decay or opposition to good. And the story that's being told actually through this account with Moses is that he, he comes along and he's given and he's good, but he has this meeting with evil. And in fact, lots of encounters really with evil in different kinds. And and the one that we're going to look forward to will be the, you know, the big, massive, dramatic encounter with Pharaoh but before then, I would say, you can already see the influence of Ra, of evil, in good Moses. Because what does he do? Is he a perfect person? Is he God's, like, you know, perfect saviour that he sent to, to save the Egyptians? Well, he's going to do a lot of saving, the saving that's going to come through him. But he's also a murderer. And people find that out early on. There's no, there's no way of saying that Moses was perfect, that he's an ideal role model. The, the storyteller wants us to know that he's come from a good place, that he's encountered evil, and he's faced it in a way that people might often face it, like lashing out and being a bit overprotective. And he's been caught out for that as well. And, and that could, could have threatened his relationships and the, uh, because of that guy who comes up to Moses who says... What are you going to judge us? Are you going to kill us, like like you did that Egyptian? And Moses goes, "Uh oh, <laughs> busted." Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, he, he understands the gravitas of what he's done, doesn't he? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So so it's not like uh, an abstract, out of nowhere, good versus evil, no clash of the titans thing. No, it's interesting because it is a family story. It's within it a is. family exactly. that, that all this is happening. Yeah, and. My take on this is that we find this battle everywhere, not just between good people and evil people, no, but within ourselves. Yeah, within what's the closest you you can have? It's even closer than family. It's you, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and and Moses has to deal with his own struggles as we do. We he has to make his own choices as we do. Yeah. If we if we wind back to Genesis again, and uh, and the story of how people grabbed the thing that God didn't necessarily want us to have, which is this the knowledge of good and evil, yeah. the, the fruit of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. There's an Egyptian word, apparently, evil good. Oh. And when evil good is put together, the sense that scholars think that that means is it just meant everything, a wide-ranging everything amount of stuff. Mm. 
so part of the Egyptian culture that Israel's family was immersed in for a long time has this concept of of evil good. Yeah. And that's not necessarily saying that that's a moral evil and a moral good, like good choices and bad choices, but it's but it's actually a much more kind of cosmic kind of recognition that there is life and death, that there are things that are ordered and there are things that decay. Yeah. And so we're part of this this world, this universe that has evil good. And what you want for your kids is just good, right? If you if you had the choice, you'd you'd say, "Oh, my, my my child is good. I only want good in their life. Let's surround them with goodness and good relationships." And then you have to deal with, you know, ultimately with the fact that well we also have rotten things happen and we're also facing evil and we're also facing challenge to what we'd like. And so that comes through in all these stories about how we're part of a world which is evil good. And uh, and the way that the Israelites want to deal with that is to cling on to their origins in good. So this, yeah. uh, and, and our God has, has ordered us to be good and uh, ordered in every sense, like not just told us, but but created this order in which goodness can flourish and that, and that should happen. You know, but I think that's really uh, insightful. And I think that two things I wanted just to say. One is that I think you're right. And there's an exposition of this to some extent in the conversation between Moses and Pharaoh, where the narrator talks about uh, Pharaoh hardening his own heart and yet also God hardening Pharaoh's heart. So there's this both and approach here where it's like, because often we struggle with that, don't we? In general life, we're like, well, Mm. you know, if God is all powerful, why does he let evil happen? We go, well evil does happen but it's also a choice as well uh, of of the individual right and so in our lives um as you said we, we're struggling we, we will all struggle with evil and good in our own lives in our city at the moment we're struggling with evil and good you know we've had some terrible murders of, of children i think six children have been murdered in our city in the last um in the last two weeks and of course globally we're seeing awful atrocities across uh, the Middle East and in in Ukraine and Russia at the moment. So there's so much there's so much uh, that challenges our sense of good and evil and how do we deal with that? And I think that you know when we look at this story of Moses and Pharaoh and we reflect on this story which is occurring within an empire, the Israelites are being oppressed by the Egyptian empire. What we're reading is the Hebrew Bible, which was largely compiled around the time when the Israelites were once again living under the oppression of another empire, this time the Babylonian Empire, about 500 years before Jesus. And they're living in captivity in what we now call Basra or Baghdad, that sort of area, this sort of area between the Tigris and the Euphrates in modern day Iraq. But back then it was the Babylonian Empire and they were living under the oppression of this empire that had conquered them, destroyed their city, destroyed their temple, and then carried them off, well, not all of them, but certainly the aristocracy, into exile in Babylon. So they're writing this at a time when they're living under the oppression of another empire, and they're writing about the story of how their ancestors, their forebears, were also living under the oppression of another empire. And I'm sure they're dealing with all of the evil that they have uh, have experienced at the hands of the Babylonians. So it's just a fascinating insight mm. as they tell this story. And I think it is what they're telling, one of the reasons they're telling this story to their children and their grandchildren is they're telling a story that, you know, God, well, not to ruin the story, but that God will rescue them from their captors because God has rescued them previously from the captivity of the Egyptian empire. 
So I find yeah. that fascinating, the whole backdrop to that. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a very good example of a very specific resonance that this story had with people in a very specific situation, but also bigger. This is an important origin story yes. that Jewish people today recognise as the foundational story exactly. for, their, for themselves as a nation. This is exactly. how we know we are this thing. Um, so that's really important. And I guess one of the things that glues them together, apart from just having declared that, yeah. is being a family. Yeah. But and then the question is, well, what makes them distinctive? The discussion that Pharaoh and Moses was having, I think, reveals a lot of this. Yeah. Like a lot of the the sort of the motivation, if you like, for, for, for wanting to make a difference. Moses strikes me going into this not perfect. He's he's full of doubt. And God it says in the story, reassured him, not just with words, but with signs, with power, with miracles, things that he could do, that he could point to. So people would go, huh, yeah, that's 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 probably God doing that or a, a God doing that. You know, in the Egyptians' minds, there were loads of gods. Mm. And, and as with all ancient peoples, gods was a convenient way way or, or a sensible looking way of describing things that you couldn't understand you know the, the, how, how come the sun rises and the sun sets well, we don't do that a god probably does that you know and egypt had ra the sun god yeah. so what we have between pharaoh and moses is a good old-fashioned ding-dong between gods yes and and looking at yeah whose god is strongest whose yeah. god is the greatest and that's mm -hmm. that's one like fairly obvious way to read this story yeah that that they sort of have these sort of challenges for each other and what intrigues me is how is how pharaoh goes away and even the rotten things like turning water to blood that will that will kind of poison people and make people like suffer pharaoh goes well, I can do that. I've got my people who can do that for me. And so every time Moses in the beginning comes up with a sign, Pharaoh's first reaction is, well, can I do that? Can I explain that some other way? Can I, is, is there some other way that I can come up with to do that thing? And then, I, and then I won't believe that it's God doing that. And I think we're also tempted sometimes to only recognize that it's God doing something when we can't explain it any other way. And I don't think that's necessarily bad. I think sometimes we need stories like that. We need things like that in our, our lives to grab our attention and make us real think, oh, actually, I think God's real. You know, for me, a lot of those things happened when I was a teenager. And uh, I was in a family where we were really struggling for money and we got evicted from our house and and we didn't know what we were going to do. Yeah. And, and, and we prayed. And miraculous things happened like exact m amounts of money that we needed came through the door wow. uh, just an, a, a, an electricity bill that we had we'd read the meter we yeah. knew what the bill was we knew what we had to pay um they it, it came back from the electric company that that uh, actually they wanted to give us money instead uh, what's going on and uh, and and to me, through my eyes of faith, and 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 wanting to spot signs of God at work, I, I I credited that to God and going, I can't explain this any other way. 
I'm very convinced in my head <laughs> that God is real and does and does amazing things. There's been lots of things. Yeah, I've, since then, been in places and seen people healed or mm. or given words to people in languages that I don't understand, but they've received and 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 they've had conversations with God in their heads that I knew nothing about, but they heard me saying something and and they credited that to God. It's all stuff that's like way beyond their understanding. Now, here's the thing. Does God only live in the places where we don't understand, where we don't have another explanation? I think that's one of the modern challenges to belief in God because we, we've got science. And there's loads of other things we can do that we say, oh, well, we can understand. You know, we don't need to believe in a sun god anymore because we understand physics. Thanks. You know, just, just Newtonian physics and how things kind of, you know, will rotate that gives us a clue and now we understand lots more physics and now we understand like how fusion powers the sun and gives us gives all the energy brilliant does that mean we don't need god anymore and for some people i think yeah it kind of does and i don't think that's necessarily just for other people i think even for me sometimes my faith can end up hooked to the things that i can't explain any other way but the god of the israelites i think is telling, inspiring these stories to tell us something else, which is that he's not just the God of a people and a God of things that can't be understood, but he's the God of everything. He's the God of everything, including the things that we think we do understand and the things that, that we want to build our lives on, the relationships that we want to build our lives on, the love that we think is entirely our choice to give or not to give. Now, what's not to understand about that? Well, if God's the God of love and the source of love for us, then then actually what we're looking at, I think, in the Bible generally isn't a, isn't a collection of stories that just go, here's how you know God's real because of all this stuff that happens that you couldn't, uh, couldn't explain any other way. What you're looking at is stories that show God as the foundation of everything for us. And the invitation is to be like Moses and to go with God in the everything um it's also a challenge though because you look at god's involvement and and you see these things that like what do you mean god hardened pharaoh's heart what does that mean god god made pharaoh do awful things god let god precipitated this situation where loads of people would die isn't god horrible yeah that would that's a legit way of asking questions about this this passage because it's a difficult thing but i think maybe the people putting this together weren't just processing what was different and special about their God. I think they were processing and recognizing God as the God of everything. And so if they were going to give God the credit for the good things and the life and the pulling them out of slavery, they also were quick to see that God was still involved in the heart of Pharaoh that God was not absent from the heart of Pharaoh, that God was involved and and somehow his what he wanted came to pass through this story. And and so he's the God that yeah, isn't just in the places where uh, where we don't understand. Yeah, that's great, Bern, isn't it? And and you know, I think that um in in our Western culture, and if you're listening to this um from uh a culture that's not part of Western Europe or, or, or North America or um, I, I think that 
just I just want I'm just reminded that you know uh, we we have a secular culture in the West which um, decides that you know asserts rather that it that it, it remains independent of any religious story or any religious tradition and I think that's just not true and I think that you know some of the ideas that you've just talked about there some of those philosophical ideas about embracing good and evil and understanding that they're part of our common experience together. Uh, is very much a, a Western principle. We recognise it and acknowledge it, but it actually finds its roots in this sort of story. This story, you know, this is this is where we find it. This is where it comes from. Is that yes, right? I think so. No, no. I'm I'm also reflecting back on what I just said and thinking, oh, you could you could misunderstand me here and think that I was being so universalist that I was that that I'm that I would say that God is also yeah the source of evil as well as the source of good. I don't believe yeah. it. I think, that, I think I these think stories... Heard, yeah, are, I don't think we heard you I, say that, but you're right. Yeah, it's good yeah, to say that. I think it's important to kind of make the distinction here that, yeah. that these stories are told for a very specific purpose, yeah. which is, yes, you recognise good and evil everywhere in the world. Yes, you recognise order and chaos, order and, and disorder. The Egyptians, by the way, very, very into order. That was, you know, they wanted their own way of ordering things. Yeah. That was entirely their gig. But, um, but to have the kind of order that god wanted for people i think this is what's coming through this story is is that you'll see it you'll see the kind of fruit that it bears it looks like moses as a young child you know saw baby moses and he was good it looks like life when you see it's full of potential and you can imagine all the best things for it and you know that it's going to grow and you know that it's going to develop that's the kind of good that that god invests in we just happen to also be in a in a world where that good doesn't always get its way yeah and part of the whole sort of reason for the bible existing is to try and navigate us through the reasons for that or or just how to how to deal with the clashes and one of the things then that's going to come up is on a much more mundane level than you know let my people go and 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 let's see you know have dramatic miraculous things happen the more mundane level of how do i make choices in everyday life how do i choose good things and we're going to get on to the subject of rules and guidelines and wisdom and and ways of finding good in the world in everyday ways uh, which Moses starts to get onto at Mount Sinai, but I think we probably need to come back to that next time. Yeah, that's a much longer conversation, isn't it? But you know, um, Ben, I was talking in episode three of um, building a community of hope, of our, which is my current box set series, looking at the Book of Acts, and in Acts two, which we, we are looking at an event that, uh, as Christians, we call Pentecost, but it's actually a Jewish festival, Pentecost, and it's actually exactly this moment on mount sinai that we're just referring to then uh, that we've re we're reading about in um what it would it be uh, exodus 19 onwards um this is the event that's that's being celebrated by the jews in jerusalem um in acts 2 so if you've been listening to that box set series then just a referral point that this is the event that we're talking about and it's about where god presence is with his people and that's uh, that's something else that you can be listening to this week if you'd like to as you continue because next week we're going to be listening to the second half of exodus and um, we uh, very much hope that you can join us in that and we'll be talking about that next week see you then bye bye